Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 690 of the Juicebox Podcast. Charles' grandson has type 1 diabetes and 11 other diagnosed issues. Among them are seizures, autism, mitochondrial dysfunction, and he is visually impaired. Cheryl and her husband are Bryson's primary caregivers, and they have custody of him. Bryson's story is interesting, to say the least, and I hope you enjoy it. While you're listening today, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. If you are the caregiver of someone with type 1 or have type 1 yourself and are a U.S. resident, please head over to t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. Join the registry, take the survey. The whole thing should take you fewer than 10 minutes. Your answers to that survey are going to help people with type 1 diabetes. t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by U.S. Med. Get your diabetes supplies from U.S. Med. All you have to do is go to usmed.com forward slash juice box or call 888-721-1514. Get your free benefits check today. The podcast is also sponsored today by InPen from Medtronic Diabetes. InPen takes the guesswork out of dosing by using its app that uses your glucose levels and carbohydrate estimates to recommend the dose that's right for you. It also does a lot more. I'll tell you about it later. Learn more or get started today at InPenToday.com. The podcast is also sponsored by Touched by Type 1. All they want you to do is check them out. Go to TouchedByType1.org, find them on Facebook or Instagram. Hello, my name is Cheryl, and I live in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm the grandmother to Bryson Henderson, who is a medically complex child diagnosed with diabetes January 20th of this year. All right, Cheryl, a couple things. Um, uh, you know the word futzing? That's not a Southern word. Stop touching things. <laughs> Keep your hands. Oh. <laughs> um, so, okay, so Bryson is your grandchild, but are you, do you care for him? Like, does he live with you? Yes, he is. My husband and myself have custody, and we've had custody for the last few years. Okay, how old is he? He just turned 15. 15. When was he diagnosed? He was diagnosed on January 20th of this year, wow. 2021. Oh, okay, so you're not even a year in yet. No. Okay. Um, w without taking, I don't want to hear too many of your personal details, but how did you come to be his caregiver? Um, his parents were, um, just struggling to keep up with the medical complexities that he had. Mm -hmm. Um, and so he came to live with us for about a year 
And after he'd been with us for a year, then we sought um, custody. Okay. And so he's been with us um, since he was 10. And we've had custody since he was 11. Your daughter? But we've always been very involved in his life. Even prior to that? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. your, your daughter or your son's child? My son. Your son's child. Okay. Okay. So he's been with you for four or five years. How old are you? I am 63. Okay. Husband, similar age, a little older? No, he's older. He's 74. Ooh, Cheryl. Yes. (laughs) Woo is. Cheryl, at some point, were you a trophy wife? I am always been a trophy wife. No, I, yeah, we've been 20 years. So yes, I guess I'm considered a trophy wife. He might disagree, but I, I like that title. Oh, that's good. I still think he parades you around to his friends and he's like, look at this one in her sixties. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, any other kids for you? Yes, I have, um, another older son as well. So I have two children, only one grandson. Well, actually two. One Bryson that I have custody of, and then Bryson has a little brother who's three. And his little brother doesn't live with you. Excuse me, his little brother doesn't what? Doesn't live with you. No. Okay. All right. I think I understand. Um, What are, I guess let's, let's start at the beginning for Bryson. How old was he when he, when he, had his first medical issue. He was born with a medical issue. Um, when he was born, um, he was in the ICU for 10 days. He had trouble regulating his um, temperature. Mm-hmm. And it was obvious he has hypertonia. And that is where when you pick him up, there's actually no resistance at all. He has um, very low muscle tone. So it's also known as ragdoll syndrome because that's how they feel. Um, and so it was known at the beginning, he has um, a stigma, which is um, where your eyes involuntarily move. And that is a brainstem issue. Um, so we knew from the beginning that there were, um, that there were issues. Okay. Hypo, hypo, hypertonia, hypotonia. I see. Okay. I was stopping at the mm-hmm. wrong spot in the word. Um, Born with that, and that's not something that's getting better, right? Like, that's a lifelong illness. That is. It is actually causing problems right now. Um, He's in AFOs, and he actually broke his foot, I guess, about five weeks ago. Um, And it's because his muscles... Hypertonia is when it's like a rubber band. Mm -hmm. So when you are like you and I, our muscles are always, you know, tied and ready to go to some degree. His aunt are extremely relaxed unless he calls them to use. And so the muscles um, in his legs, as he gains weight, are no longer able to hold his weight. So his ankles are collapsing. So he's in AFOs now um, just to stabilize his stance. And this is an autoimmune disease, correct? Well, it is all stems from what is called mitochondrial disease or dysfunction. And that is, he was born with it. Mm -hmm. And it's where the body does not convert food and oxygen into normal cell function. It doesn't put it into the mitochondrial can absorb it. 
So like diabetes, it's an energy channel that is blocked. And um, because of it, he has the low muscle tone. Um, he is cognitively delayed um, and has seizures. And he is um, autistic and he has high anxiety. And he was born with optic nerve atrophy, where his optic nerve did not have the energy to develop correctly mm -hmm. in utero. And he is um, visually impaired and attends our state's school for the blind. Cheryl, that's a lot. Okay. It is a lot. Yeah. Are you okay? Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, it's like all of this, most of his diagnoses came within, you know, the first three years of life. It's like we knew he was having seizures. He he first presented with absence seizures. So he was having these staring spells. Um, and we knew something was going on. We just weren't really sure. And I actually had to video one before they took us seriously that it really was um, seizures. And when they did the um, EEG, they estimated he was having probably 150 absent seizures a day. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, let me try to understand. Try, I'm trying to find context. So can, okay. you, can you tell me? what an average day for him is like? Um, yes, an average day for him. First of all, he has, he's cognitively delayed enough that he does not realize that his life is any different than mine or yours or any other 15-year-olds. Okay. Um, so he is a very happy, very joyful child. He gets up in the morning. He's laughing. He's talking right now. He's into knock-knock jokes. So while he's eating breakfast, he's telling me knock-knock jokes. Um, he's autistic, so they're the same jokes, the same, you know, five or six jokes all the time. But we both laugh each time they're told. Um, and then he cannot bathe himself all the way. So he showers and I help him. And then um, he needs help putting on some of his clothes, especially he can't because of the hypertonia. He has very low um, fine and gross motor skills. So he's not at, it's very hard for him to button blue jeans and the zip blue jeans. And so right now we're lucky enough that he's thin that we can use the kind he can just pull up and down by himself. Um, so I help him get dressed and then he gets on the bus. Um, he has, his vision is impaired enough that he has to have a human guide all, at all times. So if you were to see us, me putting him on the bus, he would be holding my you know, elbow and I would be guiding him on the bus. Um, he goes to school. He loves school. All of his therapies are at school. The school he attends is actually a residential um, center. We're lucky enough to live close that he can go. But since it's our state school for the blind, they're bust, bust in everywhere. Mm -hmm. So he has a wide variety of children. It's a huge campus. You know, they have an indoor pool. So he may go swimming. They have an indoor bowling alley. He may go bowling. Um, they have a huge auditorium, and so they're always having, you know, one of the grades will put on uh, productions or plays or the choir will sing. Um, does he and have, does they he, have. 
I'm sorry to cut you off. Does he have the ability to manage himself uh, at the bathroom, for example? I mean, you know, he takes a human guide to the bathroom, but then does the guide help him through the whole process or does Bryson handle some of it himself? No, he is self-sufficient. We have got him to the point where he is self-sufficient in the restaurant. So, I mean, were he, you know, at the house, he would be sitting on the couch, listening to music, just like many 15-year-olds would do when they got home from school. And if he has to go to the restroom, he just gets up and and goes. Um, Because he's autism, he struggled or used to struggle with privacy issues. He did not understand. Um, But we've really honed in, us in the school have really honed in on um, so he's more aware of that. Privacy like modesty? Modesty, okay. exactly. Okay. He's, yes. Gotcha. Um, do you work? No, I am a retired industrial engineer. Oh, wow. Um, so you have your, you have time to, to, to be with him. Um, yes. Um, when I retired, I did take a part-time job as a, um, hearing screener for newborns at our local hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got custody actually when I had, it was a part-time job. A lot of times just a couple of hours a day. And my husband would watch him when I was gone. He's also retired. He's a retired banker. Mm-hmm. So we, um, so he was always covered by one of us if he wasn't in school. Okay. Um, when I, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't want to be like, I don't, I don't want to be a bummer, uh, but I'm wondering in, 20 years, what does Bryson do? You know, in 20 years, that's the fear. Um, mitochondrial disease is can be um, a progressive disease. And many of the children that are severely affected um, do not live to the age of five. And so we consider ourselves so blessed that Bryson's here and then that he was not affected to that degree even though he has a laundry list they're all managed and he's a healthy child yeah. in spite of them um it's really amazing, so it? we yeah, you know yeah we don't know if the diabetes is progression or not um bryson we've never found the gene that's causing the mitochondrial um dysfunction and so therefore we don't have a path or we don't have anyone else to say oh you know these are the organs that we have to protect because he has you know lee's disease and it may be you know it's brain and this is how it progresses and we don't have any of that information so we just go along um hoping um doing the and, best you can right you just you just that, yeah, yeah every day well, the mm-hmm. mitochondrial disease is is a genetic disorder, right? Is there anyone else in the family that has it? No, no. Um, there's not. It may be that they they have done studies on his parents and they haven't really found a, a gene that they both had and that Bryson has. Hmm. It can be um, a mutation in within himself. Okay. And that's what they're thinking since they haven't really... Um, picked up on any genes, um, known variances. So right now he's kind of an unknown and that, that in a way makes it, you don't want to have one of to be diagnosed as one of the severe sides of mitochondrial. But then again, we're in a land of the unknown where, you know, we, we don't know what to expect. Do you have a number for how many different issues he has as a diagnosis? 
Um, if I had all of his diagnoses, um, like ADHA and everything, he has about 12, 12 diagnoses. 12. Um, which, this is a strange question maybe, but which one of them presents you the most trouble day to day? Now, that's a very good question. Um, actually, it's his autism. On a, on a day-to-day function, it's his autism um, keeping him to be able to actually um, talk and communicate. He wants to, and he is verbal, but he has a hard time process, processing the words and getting them out um, in the order. He knows everything about diabetes, but if he, like he was going to talk to um, his teacher about it, and so we were talking and he's like, oh, that's a lot of words that I have to say. And so that's how he thinks. He knows he has trouble really, you know, processing and presenting it. So autism on a day in and day out basis, um, as far as his quality of life and what he sees, it would definitely be autism. Okay. And and for you, is it the same? No, for my, it's number one is, is diabetes okay. um, because... Um, you know, he's going through puberty. We had such a good um, handle when he was diagnosed. He was like 11.7 as A1C. Um, when at three months after he was diagnosed, it was 5.9 okay. with um, 97% in range. Wow. And that was only because of this podcast oh. because I found it in the hospital. And so being an industrial engineer, I did a lot of research and my main job was to look at something, analyze it and make improvements. And so here's my grandchild and he has all these variables and everything. And they tell me about them and they don't want to overwhelm me. And I'm like, overwhelm me. I have to have this knowledge. And it was the podcast that gave me the knowledge. So he came, I mean, we came home and I was listening to every episode that you guys have and it allowed him to get to 5.9 and 95. Um, His last um, A1C was 5.3 with 95% in range and a um, standard deviation of 22. Come on. That's amazing. Good for you. Mm -hmm. What's hey, pat yourself at? on the back, Scott. <laughs> oh, I thought you were, I'm being honest with you. I thought you were going to say he was honeymooning when you told me the first day once. Yeah, I didn't expect you to say the podcast was helpful. Um, what's your range? No, at? he's not honeymooning. He came out, he came out of his honeymoon and he's been out for, he was probably only in honeymoon, maybe the first three months. And he's, um, it was very obvious when he came out. And um, luckily, we got the pod, um, Omnipod, hmm. about the same time he gave, came out. No, he was still in Honeymoon when he got the Omnipod. Okay. Hey, so with a 22, is that what you said? Your your time and range is 95%. Your standard mm-hmm. deviation standard deviation is 22? Yes. What range are you shooting for? Like 70 to 120? Yes. Is that right? Did I get it right? Yeah, that, about that. Yes. Wow. Uh, we don't ever panic if he's he can hang out at 79, 77. Um, you know, we don't panic. We we know he we know how to get him up. His body responds very well. He has no idea. He cannot tell lows. He cannot tell highs. 
Um, we can't tell any difference in the way he acts with lows, but we can with highs. He gets irritable and he gets very tired. Mm-hmm. Um, but sure. Um, sure, I have a question, and this is might take a turn that you're not expecting. But okay. um, between your background and mm-hmm. your situation and your mm-hmm. age, you're mm-hmm. you're doing an amazing job. So well, thank you. Oh, no, I mean honestly, this is. I mean, that'd be hard to argue with. I, I think that's a pretty obvious statement. My question is, diabetes-specific, what did you take out of this podcast that you were able to put into practice? Like, explain to somebody somebody else who just heard you say that and thought, oh, great, I'm in my 30s. My kid doesn't have autism or any of these other problems. I'm nowhere near these numbers. Like, why is it, like, what is it about you and the information that blended so well together. Do you see the intersection? Do you know what it is? Um, I, I know a lot of it is my background. And even when I was in the emergency room, I was hearing bits and pieces of everything and I was putting it together. And they're like, do you have a medical background? And I said, no, I don't. I'm just putting pieces together. And my brain, fortunately for diabetes, that's how it works. It looks at things and it automatically takes information and stores it and puts it in kind of what I perceive to be a logical order. Mm -hmm. And so that's how your podcast is. It's very, to me, in my way of thinking, it is very logical. And it was very soothing for me to be able to go on a podcast and hear about how to deal with protein and how to deal about, you know, deal with fat And so I knew, so I was no longer scared and I was no longer wondering about, you know, about the spikes or going in and hearing someone's story and I can relate to it. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, and even if it's someone's story, like someone's listening to mine and it isn't their path, but they still may learn something for it. Or it's interesting to know that you're not alone and that even though everyone might be on a different path, we're still on the same journey. Yeah. I'm stunned that I'm logical. <laughs> I, oh, you're very logical. <laughs> yeah, I, I perceive you to be very logical. I perceive most of your guests to present themselves um, in a um, manner that was very helpful for me. Yeah, their guests are terrific always. And um, oh, yes. yeah, it's just those these conversations are so valuable. But I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm joking a little bit. I I believe that I'm very logical about diabetes and and how to mm-hmm. ma- manage it like moment to moment, day by day. It's just that if you could see the rest of my personality, it doesn't really jive with that, you know. So it's sometimes <laughs> I I think of my I don't think of myself like you do. I see myself because I see myself in a completely different way. Like if I got on here and really started saying what I was thinking in 15 mm-hmm. minutes, you'd be like, I think this guy's out of his mind. <laughs> so, but I just see. <laughs> I see very strange connections to things and, and I, I like to joke about ridiculous stuff and I, I don't mm-hmm. know. Like I, I'm, I'm, I, I don't, I'm just thrilled. I, I seriously, I'm listening to what, what Bryson's life has been. And, and, you know, then you get die. I mean, he gets diabetes. You must've been like, are you kidding me? Right. Like, I mean, you got to go in a room oh, and yeah. like put a fist through a wall or something then. Right. I could not. Now, my husband is diabetic, type 2, and has been for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Bryson had been over his parents um, and for the weekend, and they told me that he wasn't feeling well. And so he came home, and 
on a Saturday, on a Sunday. And that night he went, he has his own little refrigerator, you know, it's visually impaired and everything he has is in there and, you know, arranged specifically for him. And he was out of drinks and he went in ours and was getting in during the night and drank four liters of drinks. And his father, he had been listening to a rap song that started with, um, we get drunk. And so Bryson, they noticed he was drinking a lot and he told them they had explained what drunk was. He, they just said people drink too much. So he told them he was going to get drunk. And so he was drinking all this fluid, but saying he was doing what the song said and getting drunk. So, you know, they got a kick out of it. And actually that Monday he had an appointment with his um, behaviorist for his autism. And um, it was on, it was on zoom because of COVID and, we were talking about him drinking and, and, you know, his doctor was kind of laughing, you know, because he was drinking a lot because he wanted to get drunk, Mm -hmm. but he has no concept what drunk is. He just knew you had to drink a lot to get this, whatever drunk was. And um, so I'm like, okay, okay. And then he started throwing up and, um, I called his doctor and she said, there's two different stomach flu, um, stomach viruses going around. Well, because of Bryson's mitochondrial, he easily dehydrates. And so his whole life, if he has long periods where he um, is, is throwing up, then he has to go into the hospital for fluids. So I told the doctor, I hung up and he was still throwing up and he was still thirsty. And I'm like, you're going to throw it up. And he's like, I don't care. My body says I have to drink. Now, mind you, I still never thought of diabetes. Yeah. So I called the doctor back and I said, he's still sick to the stomach. You know, call Vanderbilt. That's where we go. Vanderbilt's Children's. And it's the top hospital in the Southeast. We're so fortunate to have it. So they open, you know, they called and said they were on their way. He was able to walk to the car by himself. If he's in familiar um, settings, he he doesn't need any help navigating. Um, so he made himself to the car. By the time we got halfway to Vanderbilt, it's about 50 minutes away. He said, I can't keep my seatbelt on. Everything on my body hurts. And he was like in the floorboard with his head on the seat. So I turned on the flashers and go there. Um, and he lost consciousness by the time we got there. And, you know, the nurses came and they had, you know, everyone in the emergency room. And they said, um, is this sugar always high? And I'm like, do what? And it was their monitor. It was like over 700 um, at that time. And, you know, so the nurses were like, you know, and the doctors, I mean, they came up and they were like putting their hands hands on my, um, you know, on me and saying, you know, we know this is a lot. Right. We know, you know, he has a lot. And because if you just look at the list, you don't know how that child is going to present. So they saw Bryson laying there, not cognitively aware. Um, and they were like, is this his normal state? Mm. And I'm like, no, but, you know, epileptic, especially if it's uncontrolled with his, he's, you know, topped out on three seizure medicines. And that can cause severe brain damage. Mitochondrial can cause severe brain damage. So, you know, they're, they're, they're politely asking, is this how he always is? And as we turn to normal. Right. And I'm like, no. 
And so they keep on asking me this. And I finally thought, I'm going to show them my phone because my screensaver is a picture of him when he got his new phone. And he's just beaming. And you can look and you can, by looking at the picture, he looks like a typical Mm 14-year-old, which when the picture was taken. And I'm like, this is him. And you could just say, oh. And so they, you know, they went in and was talking. Oh, he's all, you know, he's always verbal. And um, so, yeah, I had, we had no idea it was coming. Um, I asked how he was, severity. And they said he's an eight out of a 10. And they were given, ready to give him. And I think it was called a hyperbolic solution. And they said, He's an out of a 10 and we'll know exactly which way he's going to go when we give this to him. Hmm. You know, and it's not like the movies where they just usher you out and you don't see all of this. I mean, I sat there and watched him go in and out of consciousness and um, there was no ushering. There was me, you know, standing there Hmm. Um, and they gave him the solution and it just makes him, he just came up gasping and that lasted for like two minutes and then he lay back down. But that's all they needed to see was just that two minutes of him being aware for them to know um, that he was probably going to decrease from a seven at some point as opposed to going to a nine or a 10. And, and, that, and then that affected how they helped him next. At first glance, the in-pen looks like any other insulin pen. It has a cap and a needle, a place for you to put your insulin cartridge. You can see your dosing window, you know, and there's a button on the end. But there's much more to it than just the pen. There's also the app that shows your current glucose levels, your dosing calculator, active insulin remaining, meal history, dose history and activity log, glucose history, and reports. That's right, because your in-pen connects to its app, giving you much of the same functionality as an insulin pump. And it does other things as well. You can avoid missing your insulin doses by setting a dose reminder right in the app. Do you need carb counting support? That's no trouble because the InPen app can help you estimate carbs based on your meal size. There's also a fixed dose option that allows you to choose the same carb amount for a specific meal every day. Now is the part where I tell you that if you'd like to learn more or get started with the InPen, go to InPenToday.com or click on one of the links in the show notes of your podcast player or at JuiceBoxPodcast.com. InPen requires a prescription and settings from your healthcare provider. You must use proper settings and follow the instructions as directed or you could experience high or low glucose levels. For more safety information, visit InPenToday.com. We all get diabetes supplies. You could get yours at U.S. Med. U.S. Med has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. They accept Medicare nationwide and over 800 private insurers. U.S. Med carries everything from insulin pumps and diabetes testing supplies to the latest CGMs like the Freestyle Libre 2 and the Dexcom G6. Don't want to be bothered ordering every month? That's no trouble. Because U.S. Med always provides 90 days worth of supplies and they have fast and free shipping. Better service and better care is what U.S. Med wants you to have. They've served over 1 million diabetes customers since 1996 and you could be next. 
Go to usmed.com forward slash juice box or call 888-721-1514 to get your free benefits check so you can get started with US Med. There are links to US Med, InPen for Medtronic Diabetes, and all of the sponsors in the show notes of the podcast player you're listening in right now and at juiceboxpodcast.com. Like Excuse that, me. That testing drove what they did next. Then, exactly. Yeah. Well, they they were uh, because of the mitochondrial disease. They had they slowed down everything. They were going to do the um, DKA. I didn't even know that what that was. They were telling me we're doing DKA, and I hear them talking about DKA, and I'm like, I have no idea what you, you know what that mm-hmm. is. Um, And then they stopped the protocol because of his mitochondrial dysfunction. Um, They called the geneticist and um, reviewed everything they were doing with his geneticist to ensure that their protocol was not going against his mitochondrial protocol, which he also has. So usually when he presents in the hospital, you know, they treat the child for the symptoms, you know, as they did with the diabetes. But there's also like he can have lactated ringers. And that's something that's often automatically given to, to people. And he cannot have those. So they have to follow the mitochondrial protocol um, first and then the diabetes. So, you know, while he was in this perilous state they were stabilizing him, but at the same time, trying to figure out his course of action where the diabetes and the mitochondrial dysfunction could um, both be treated effectively without one negatively impacting the other. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. You're by yourself in Mm -hmm. there with him while this is happening. How long were you there? Like how long did all this take? Um, In the emergency room, they, Um, Once they found the protocol, um, we went from the emergency room to have, um, they did a lot of things in the emergency room. We were there a total of five days, three of which he um, spent in ICU. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, we were there five days. And yes, because of COVID, it was only, it was only me. Um, Now my sisters did come to see me once in the parking lot. Um, and, you know, that's probably the hardest I've ever cried. I was sad, such a fear because of his autism that he would get home and would not allow us to prick his finger um, and would not allow us to give him an injection. And that was such a fear of mine right. um, that he would, and cognitively, he would not be able to understand why why I was trying to do this. And he, he, you know, was 14 when he was diagnosed. He was way too big for us to hold down. So if he said there's no, there was no injection, there wasn't going to be any injection. Um, So that was my biggest fear. And And it was just one more thing of his laundry list. Yeah. No, geez, no kidding. Has it been an issue ever or how did you get him to be okay with all this? Cause he's wearing a CGM. I mean, you don't, right. He's wearing a CGM and a pump. 
Exactly. Yeah. Um, he was so sick that he has since got on to me for not calling an ambulance because he said I was too sick. You should have called an ambulance. So even though he didn't, he doesn't understand the true severity of how sick he was. He knew how sick he was. You know, he knew he had never felt that way. And he knew he never wanted to feel that way again. And Vanderbilt has a fantastic child life. Um, And so they worked with him a lot. Um, The nurses that were diabetic, um, type 1 diabetes came in um, and would talk to him. You know, when they were on shift, even if they weren't his nurse and said, oh, I do this and this is what I do. So by the time he left, he was used to the injections. Um, He was um, pricking his finger has never bothered him. So he was used to that. He was used to the injections. And, you know, basically it was like, Bryson, we have to do this or you're going to get sick again. And he's like, I don't ever want to, uh, to be that sick. So he was aware enough to know that he had to have this. Now he still asks when the doctors are going to um, fix his, his pancreas. He's still hoping for a cure, just like ev- everyone else is. Yeah. Um, you know, he doesn't like diabetes, but he's very, um, very compliant and always has been. I think if he had to go back to injections, um, we would have some resistance because the pod's just so easy and, and it's so life-changing. Yeah. Um, it made our life so much easier. Can I ask a question? Um, so mm-hmm, he's, sure. he's, um, he's asking about like, you know, can diabetes go away? But the rest, uh-huh. the rest of the stuff that's going on with him, you said that he doesn't see himself as different. So he doesn't ask about any of the other stuff. He's never asked about any of the other issues. No, the only thing, the only thing that he is upset about is he cannot drive, but not only is he visually impaired and couldn't drive, his epilepsy, they just did an EEG um, because he started presenting with different kinds of, of seizures other than just absent. And he, that came back, you know, that he was prohibited from driving. So, you know, he has two conditions that he couldn't drive anyway, but he wants to drive. And um, we just had that discussion. We've had it a couple of times that, um, you know, he just can't see well enough to drive and not to worry. Well, if he ever wants to go anywhere, we'll take him and we're all gonna, always going to take him. But unfortunately, he's not going to be able to drive Let me ask um, you. in his intellectually, uh, in intellectual ability. But on a dated other than driving, um, he has no idea. And as a matter of fact, when I was, his school is fantastic. And they actually called Omnipod in to um to do a presentation and show them how to um, fill the Omnipod. And when the representative had finished training the school, because they have a full-blown clinic because they have the residential program. So mm-hmm. we're fortunate there. And when, when the um, representative was le- leaving, she told them, she said, if you really want to know about diabetes, listen to Juice Box podcast. Oh, that the trainer. So that was an that? Um, that was yeah, that was an Omnipod representative. Oh. So they've always been on board. Um, we had a big meeting before school started, before he ever walked in, and it was all the teachers that he was, you know, gym teacher, speech teacher, everybody was there. And um they were talking about 
what he could have to eat. And I said, he can have anything to eat, anything he wants. You just have to cover it. Right. Um, and how does he, um, what's his diet like? That is another thing that, um, that's another thing that's really changed for the better since diabetes, because before he had a very limited diet, very limited. I mean, um, you know, he would eat maybe 10 foods and now he will eat anything just about that's put in front of him. He doesn't like cold slaw, but he will eat any kind of vegetable, broccoli, cauliflower, anything and put in front of them. Um, he will eat now. Mm-hmm. And that changed because of the diabetes, because, you know, we said you, your body has to stay healthy and, you know, we, you have to eat healthy in order to, for your body to be able to work healthy. Yeah. So once again, as sick as he was, was the one um, thing that helped him with his, um, even with his disabilities to understand how serious diabetes could be. Yeah. That DK had a real impact on him. He's not, Oh yeah. He, he's not going to forget that anytime soon. And it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because that's the, what do I want to say here? That's the reaction you would expect from everyone, Mm -hmm. but because he's not encumbered by the other, like some of the other things that, that a person maybe without his issues is, and encumbered by like, like uh, just simple things like his own personal desire, right? Like mm-hmm. he he, do, he doesn't think about like I I just want to be happy, you know, or I want a pizza. He he he's gets this feeling of like this hurt. I'm not going to do this anymore. And then he doesn't question mm-hmm. it again. Is that right? You're exactly right. And okay. the thing is, Bryson does not express pain. He has passed a kidney stone. We have never known. Um, I just again I referred earlier earlier that he had a broken bone. Um, he never told us that his foot hurt. I noticed he was limping, but he's, he promised nothing would hurt on is that, him. Is that and I take him to the doctor. Is that the hypotonia, Cheryl, or is that him just being resilient? What do you think that is? I think a lot of it is, I think his body is in pain. And um, because of the hypertonia and the muscles, I think he has, you know, some pain, um, not on a high level, but I think he's used to dealing with pain. I see. And his autism um, disallows him from once again really processing what's going on. He has migraines, and he'll tell you if he has a migraine. Um, but other than that, he won't. He doesn't acknowledge pain, and that's scary. That's you know, yeah, um, yeah that is scary. But he um, he realized how sick he was with the diabetes, with the diabetes, he couldn't express it. He couldn't express how he felt to us, but he knew how he felt. Yeah. Does he have a, um, have, have they ever talked to you about his lifespan? What the, the hope is for him? Um, well, that's why when he was diabetic, um, once I got over the shot, my first question to everyone was, is this a progression of the mitochondrial? disease because mitochondrial can affect any organ in the body and cause, um, you know, a dysfunction and, um, and they're not sure. And once again, that's because we haven't found the gene. So we don't know the path that his body's going to take. So we don't know if this is progression or if it is just, he's diabetic. Okay. 
right. And so the life expectancy, we don't know. Um, but, you know, 5.9, 5.3, I'm going to do, and his parents are committed, and my husband, everyone who controls his diabetes, to keep him in range because we cannot control anything with him. With, his, with all of his disabilities, there's really nothing we can do. We can try to give him therapies and supports, but we can't really physically do anything to help him. But now the diabetes, we can. And so my goal is to in, in when he's 50 or 60, for him to never be in a position where the diabetes, something that we could control, caused any complications. But there's crossovers from the complications because mitochondrial, um, your stomach takes a lot of intestines. They, they take a lot of energy. And so, you know, gastroparnalysis is very common in mito, but it is in diabetes too. Yeah. So if something like that happened, it would it be a result of the mitochondrial or, you know, or would advancement of mito or advancement of a complication of diabetes. So whenever anything happens to him, like if he were to have a seizure before it was, and we're not talking about the absent seizures, we're talking about the tonic-clonic, what everyone classically thinks of as a seizure. When he has one of those, now it's like... Is it that calm, right? You know, it's just just a seizure, which is what we thought before. Or is he low and his Dexcom showing, you know, mm -hmm. 79, but he's really lower than that? Yeah. Because we don't know if his threshold, you know, we don't know if his threshold is going to um, be the same as a diabetic because he's already epileptic. So um, that's an unknown variable. Yeah. And so... There are things that now when something happens, we can't just look at what we did, this, that one diagnosis. Now we have to also look how diabetes could have affected it. And so, you know, you just have to go down like this little tree to find out. Um, and you can't really check a child's um, blood when they're seizing. Right. Um, yes. Yeah, so you just, what do you do? You assume it's the seizure disorder first. If the CGM, exactly, if the exactly. CGM is, is reading mm -hmm. well. Okay. I have a couple of more like psychological questions for you. So okay. my first one is, does having something like diabetes that's more manageable, like, like cause and effect management, does it make you mm -hmm. feel, does it make you feel better? Cause I hear in your, I hear in your statements that you think a lot about what's coming and, mm -hmm. and what could come and, and you don't feel like you can stave off any of the other problems. They're going to just progress if they're going to progress. So do you get any comfort from managing the diabetes? Um, I wish with everything that he didn't have it. Um, and, but yeah, I do get comfort of the control because um, his epileptic is intractable, which means they never, they'll never get it under control. We know that, mm -hmm. um, his, um, seizures are progressing and presenting in different ways, which, um, I'm pretty sure he's going to be diagnosed in the next couple of weeks when he goes back to the neurologist, um, with a epileptic disease. Um, um, and yeah. I, I'm one that likes to control things, um, especially with someone that you love so much. And so I do find comfort in the fact that this is the one thing I can do for him 
that um, medically I can have a positive impact. Cheryl, are you at all impressed with the intuitive nature of my question? Because I am. Oh, yes. All of them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, all of them. All of them. Because you're asking the right questions. You're asking the things, you know, that that I wanted to um, to do. But going back to what I was saying about him not knowing anything and when I was talking to his school and she said, okay, so in, at breakfast, this was his teacher. She's like, okay, at breakfast, um, if they do a muffin, we just won't give them a muffin. And I'm like, you know, the child always comes before diabetes and he doesn't know anything else that he's missing out on in his life. He has no clue, but he knows he's missing out on a muffin. So give him the muffin, give him anything, treat him like anyone else, cover the carbs. But he knows that he's missing out on the muffin. And it was just like a metaphor for just like everything. That's how it felt like when I was saying that it was more than just the muffin. It was just for everything else that was thrown at him. Do everything you can to make him his life as normal as possible. Yeah, you sort of get that feeling sometimes like, you know what, I've made a lot of concessions and I'm that's it. Like I'm done making concessions. Mm-hmm. Like we're going to figure out another way around this issue. And it, whether it's eating the muffin or something else, mm-hmm. you just get to that. Like, you know, I've, I've had all I can stand that I can't stand no more. And that's it. We're going to, we're going to make a stand right here. We're going to, we're going to say, yeah. you figured out, and you figured out how to bolster for a muffin. Obviously you have amazing standard deviation and A1C and time and range. Um, how did you figure it out? Just well, this was the school that has to do that. Really? Um, yes. The well, school is the school, like I said, they are very um, they called the Omnipod representative. Um, within the first, the second day of school, they had gone through all of their menus and wrote down the carbs per serving. They had even gotten to the point, and this is the school, they had even gotten to the point where there were different brands of, say, carrots, and they had different carbs. And so at every day they call and say, okay, you're having carrots. Which brand of carrots are you serving at lunch? Mm. And so as you can tell, I am so blessed that that's where he I is. And if there's any school. question, they're forever you know, calling and saying, um, you know, this is where he is and, you know, what do you want to do? So I have a very good relationship um, with the school. And um, so they're the ones who who figured that out. He is running higher at school, like at lunch. They do half of the bolus before and the other half after. Okay. Um, and so there's not the pre-bolus. So he goes high, um, high he, during lunch usually. Did he show a propensity for not finishing his food? Is that why they did that? They weren't really sure, but no, his thing is he usually eats more than they say. Um, you know, it's not uncommon for him to eat two lunches. And if you saw him, he's five, six and a half and 107 pounds. So he's extremely thin, mm. um, but he eats. Well, maybe maybe they can get past that idea and just give him all the insulin at once instead of sp- splitting it before and after. Like maybe well, that, that's maybe, what maybe I, with time. I'm sorry, go on. No, no, I didn't mean to cut you off, but maybe with time they can get comfortable. And that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping at least that they can bolus for the full lunch because I would rather see them bolus for 50 carbs or, you know, 
however many. And if he eats 40, then give him, you know, a couple of sips of juice. Give him something to cover it other than just letting him go to 200 because there's not really a pre-bolus and the, you know, all the foods hitting before the insulin is, they, they, they understand it. You know, I explained exactly how, you know, how it went, how it proceeded, but that's just their comfort. Um, And I know a lot of schools, that's the only issue I have with them is that they won't bolus, uh, pre-bolus him his full um, carb count for lunch. And you do it at home and you don't have any trouble with it? Oh, yes. Yes. We pre-bolus. He's going through puberty, as I said, and we're finding this week um, that everything that we thought we knew, um, he's still spiking on. So I'm in the process of um, reevaluating his bolus um, and then looking if we need to do something else with um, carb ratios. Can I ask a question? But I'm doing the basil first, not the bonus, the basil. Okay. So I'm doing the basil first. Good. I have a question that's completely away from all of this. So because you, okay. you just mentioned that he's, he's you know, coming up on puberty. What, mm-hmm. what do you do when he starts having, like, sexual desires? I know he's only um, now, but have you had to have thought of this? Like, what do you, how do you handle that? Well, we, it, it's already um, presented itself. And especially 15, right? when he, uh, pre-diagnosis, um, he was getting um, erections constantly, um, much more than I thought was normal. And once, um, once we got his blood sugar, um, under control that, that decreased like 80%, which is a, aside from what you asked, but just, I thought very interesting, yeah. but no, we've, we've just told him, this is why your body's, you know, this is what's going on with your body. Um, he has, he doesn't know what to do to satisfy himself. He hasn't discovered that yet. Um, but we just talk in general terms that well, pretty specific as far as he wanted to know that if that happened to everyone and it was going to continue to happen and, you know, you couldn't touch yourself in public. Once again, you know, I started right. you know, saying that he has no modesty. So, you know, you could not touch yourself in public. Um, try to say when this happens, you know, put your hands or, you know, trying to do things because those he needs to be typical like, any 15 year old. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, part of it is just his dignity. And so we've, we've touched upon it. Um, and he's done really, um, he's done really, he's done really well. Good. That's excellent. So far. Yeah. And by his dignity, you just mean like how, how people see him, like you don't want him to come off like out of control. Is that right? Well, I don't want how he felt. Yeah, I don't want him walking around with an erection and and him ever being, you know, one one teenager nudging another and then saying, you know, look at him and Bryson be totally unaware because he yes. is unaware. Yes, yes. So it's just like, you know, that happens to everybody. Just kind of put your hand down there. Right. Um, and so that to him, that's just part of having good manners. To him, that was just like saying please and thank you because he doesn't understand anything about sex or any kind of sexual and we didn't go into that we didn't go into why that 
part of your body. And because unfortunately, that's going to be another part of his life that won't ever be um, utilized or that he'll ever have. Mm. Um, or we don't foresee that. And so we didn't go into details. It was just more the good habits of it. Okay. That's, I was just wondering because I, I imagined you'd thought it through. Cheryl, there's a part mm-hmm. of me that imagines that you've thought everything through. So, <laughs> as much as possible, you know, he's 15 years old and has to go in the women's restaurant. No, oh, I mean beyond um, that, Cheryl. Like, if you find a genie oh, yeah. lamp, genie lamp, you know your, you know your wishes already. Like, have you, like, what haven't you thought through? Is what I'm saying. Like, if you find a lamp on the beach and you rub it, and a genie comes out. Do you already know what you're going to ask the genie for? Have you thought through that? What happens if there's a fire? Oh. What window do you go out? Like, I feel like you've got everything. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All that. All that. We've had fire drills with Bryson forever um, for just that reason. If we're on one end of the house and he's on the other because he is able to, you know, as I just said, he mobile, you know, he's totally mobile in our house. He can go and do anything. He's totally free to do whatever he wants. Um, So if we're in one end of the house and he's in the other and the fire alarm goes off. What is the closest door? Because that's not something that he is going to automatically think. Yeah. He is not going to think, oh, I need to go out the front door. So that's what we do. You know, we've actually set the alarm and, and had, you know, drills just like they do at schools and say, okay, the fire's in the kitchen. Which door are you going out? Yeah. The fire's in the garage. Where are you going? You know, and, you know, the fire's in the living room. Where are you going? So we, we do those scenarios so that he can, it will be automatic to him. I think I want you taking care of me. What's for dinner tonight? Do you know, do you know already? <laughs> that's, that's a downfall. Okay. Oh, you oh, know, oh, the that's, my, that's <laughs> why my husband wouldn't say I was a trophy wife because he, <laughs> you would have to ask him what was for dinner because he actually does more cooking than I. Oh, all right. Well, I thought, I, I thought you had the whole thing set up here. But, no, right. I don't. I'm not the whole package. <laughs> Not 99% <laughs> as long as you don't expect a chef. Oh, that's excellent. Oh, my gosh. Um, before we started to record, you you kind of, you, you said you were, like, excited to meet me. And I have a hard time understanding that. So because you're such a together thoughtful person, can you explain it to me? Because I don't understand. I'm I'm being genuinely serious. I don't know why anyone would come on here and be excited. Okay. You know, Scott, this may shock you even more, but I am tearing up because to sit in a hospital room with a child who's already so medically fragile and have diabetes thrown at you, and you just feel like this is one more thing that can't be controlled, and then you Google diabetes and you start listening, you visit different pages and you start listening. And finally, you hear a voice that to you is a voice of reason to you. It's a voice that you can follow. And so I went from feeling totally out of control and in panic that I was going to take this child home not even knowing how to take care of him, um, I knew I could, you know, and, and that wasn't anything that they told me that came from the podcast. I came home and immediately, I mean, that's why I spent my time in the hospital was listening to your podcast and it gave me comfort. Um, 
And that was from you. So as, as I said, I live in Nashville. I ran into quite a few, you know, country music stars. And, um, you know, I'm like, oh, there they are. That's great, great, great. But I'm like, oh, my gosh, I am going on the Juice Box <laughs> podcast. And I am going to talk to Scott. And maybe, just maybe, someone will be sitting in a hotel room. And you will give them, through your podcast, comfort and you will give them hope and you will give them a sense of control that had been ripped out from underneath me. I thought I knew how to take care of him. Um, and then I found out I didn't. Yeah. And you taught me how to again. And it wasn't any, I mean, Vanderbilt has a great program. They have a clinic, but they're not the ones who taught me how to take care of Bryce. And that was you. Mm. And um, yeah. Well, sure. So yeah, when I said I was a, a band girl, or a fan woman, I guess I should say, since I've already told you my age. Um, so, yeah, I'm definitely a fan woman, and I'm definitely, um, um, you just you just don't know how much um, your voice has meant to me. Wow. Well, and how it's pulled me up. Thank you. I, um, I honestly don't know what to say. I feel like anything I say would be ridiculous, so I'm just going to say thank you. Um, you're welcome. I'm, I'm incredibly happy that that worked out for you that way. Uh, and I do agree that you being on the show will be someone else's um, episode that they that they land on when they're in the hospital or unsure or whatever mm -hmm. moment of need uh, strikes them. How how at your I, I, I know you're not a I'm, listen, I'm not trying to paint you as like like 150 years old, but. I don't think I don't think sixty-two year olds. Don't well, thank you so much, well, Scott. Just, I may not be your fan if if you if you hold that steady to that statement. <laughs> no, I, I'm my, I'm just trying to get to the idea that I don't think that sixty-two is the average age of a podcast listener. Did you listen to podcasts prior to that? Um, no, really, no. Yours okay. was I. I had that. I mean, I am um, active on social media, um, Instagram. Facebook. Um, I, I don't post a lot. I follow a lot. Um, so I followed podcasts. Um, I'm much into um, therapy dogs and crisis response canines. So the podcast and things that I followed um, were 100% directed towards that. If every podcast I listened to was that. So I did not listen to medical podcasts. That wasn't a, a point of interest. Um, I never would have found your podcast or any other medical podcast. And yours, yours is the only podcast I listened to. Well, because the best one. I found out really, really um, quickly that you spoke my language. You presented information in a way that made sense to me. Um, so I discounted the, the, um, other podcasts. Um, can I, can I, so, I want to dig into that for a second and not, I'm not trying uh -huh. to, I'm not trying to make a funny statement, but it, did you try a number of them and mine fit you the best or did you try mine that fit well? So you didn't go look at the rest of them. No, I, I, you know, I did, I did several and, and, and of course we're not going to name them, but no, I did, no. I, you know, I did several of the Facebooks, you know, um, and some of them I still do on Facebook, but 
Um, your was the only podcast, once again, because you spoke my language. And it wasn't, not that the others are fluff, but they were fluffier. And I didn't want fluff. Diabetes is not a fluffy to me. It's not fluffy. There's no fluffiness about it. Mm. You know, give me the cold, hard facts. And if they're bad, then I want to know them. You know, because my mind's automatically going to say, it's bad. What can I do to make it better? Yeah. And so um, I fit very well in your in your podcast. And in my mind, um, yeah, that's just how I think. And, yeah. and the others were too, too general, um, too. <clears throat> um, yeah. like, like, they, like I, I couldn't get anything. I couldn't get anything useful on how to care for Bryce and not the nuts and bolts of how to care for Bryce. And, and, yeah. and your podcast has nuts and bolts. Cool. Well, that's excellent. I, I, I guess I'm extra interested because yesterday, a fan of the show sent me something they saw online where a person said that they didn't think this podcast was good for newly diagnosed people. Uh, it called me a micromanager and I read the little blurb and I thought, I don't, I don't think those are accurate statements about me, but I, I, I think in general, I think the podcast is great for people who are newly diagnosed for the reasons that you just said, because why spend a bunch of time hearing stuff that's not going to be helpful or isn't complete information and I don't see, I mean, it's 141. I think maybe two hours ago, I said to Arden, like, you should bolus more. But I, mm -hmm. you know, I don't talk about her diabetes a lot with her at all, really. Um, you know, so, I mean, and over the years, it's been different as she's been younger. But I also don't understand when people think that you, like, I don't know if it's micromanaging to, uh, you know, help a kid bolus for a meal and then check in on it to make sure that you hit the bolus right and you're not spiking. Like, is that micromanaging or is that just reasonable use of the insulin? So I don't know. I think that's teaching. I yeah. think that is teaching. I see that as a parent who wants their child to be successful when they leave the house and are giving them the tools to let them be successful. I don't see it micromanaging. Um, Bryson would never, will never be able to manage his diabetes. Um, and so we never have to do with the teenage angst where they, you know, um, aren't bolusing or they aren't taking, you know, corrected the correct measures to keep the numbers in control. Yeah. But I can guarantee you, I would be like you. I would be micromanaging because I don't, like I said, I don't see that micromanaging. I see that teaching good life skills. Yeah. And that, that's how I view it. Yeah. I, I think that sometimes um, people's first reactions are, uh, <clears throat> not always right, but it, it, it doesn't stop them from never reevaluating what they're saying. You know, I think that you could hear me say that I, you know, uh, text Arden, hey, bolus a half a unit in the middle of the day mm -hmm. and think that's micromanaging. But, you know, there's a, a world where the way I think about it is if she doesn't get the 180 during the day and sit there for three hours, then we won't be bolusing, bolusing, bolusing later in the day and then causing a low at 11 o'clock at night. And like, I see it as a, mm -hmm. a more holistic big picture. And um, anyway, I was just very interested. Well, Thank you. Yeah. That's why the podcast is so good because that's exactly how I think, you know, that's, that's what I do. You know, this um, budge and nudge, I'm all about budging and nudging. Yeah. Um, also I'm delightful, right? 
Yes, yes. <laughs> Cheryl, do you like my? If sense you're not going to call me an old lady, then I, yes. <laughs> if you're not going to call me an old lady, then you're delight. <laughs> this is the part in the in the episode where people are like, "Oh, what is he going to end up calling my episode?" Um, <laughs> yeah, <really>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, um, do you like my sense of humor, or do you just like the way I talk about diabetes? Oh no, I like your sense of humor. Oh, okay. I like, I mean, I find everything very entertaining. Um, you know, I was nervous about coming on, but it's because I had, um, it meant so much to me. You have a high expectation um, for this, don't you? Like you, you want this. To, yeah. You yeah. Want this and, to... and I, and I have, you've asked the right questions and I've been able to say what I've wanted to say. Yeah. Um, but it was just that I could present myself in such a manner that I would help someone. But you've put me very much at ease. Um, But no, I I was never nervous about speaking to you as much as I was just getting the information across. Well, you did. You were excellent. I, 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 we've been talking for an hour and 15 minutes. Okay. You were really, I start talking and. Oh, Cheryl, you are chatty. I could have left a couple of times. <laughs> but I, but but I, but you also know me. If you weren't, if you're, what you were saying wasn't valuable and entertaining, I would have interjected. And so, mm. and so, I love the way you laid this all out. I thought it was terrific. Okay, well, good. Yeah. Good. I also think it so shows we're that, fans of each other, right? Well, yeah. I also think this shows a little bit of growth on my part over the last couple of years because you know I would have not, like, I would have talked more a couple of years ago. And I'm getting, yes. I'm getting better at listening. So. Yes. Um, and I'm getting better. At yeah, hearing. you're right. Yeah. You're right. There were times. Yeah. You're exa- yeah. At the, fir- at the first, there were times where people were saying something and I'm like, wait, you know, there may have been a little more nugget there. Yep. I'm starting to be able to um, quiet the little voice in my head that's, that says, keep it interesting, move on. And, mm-hmm. and, and I'm willing to listen for another 30 seconds. But I have to tell you when it happens and nothing comes in those 30 seconds, I get, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I should have, I should have moved on. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, I can, yeah, I can, I can totally, I can totally, you know, understand. Yeah. Well, Cheryl, because of, you know, a lot of the things you said today make my point, but I'm aware of how valuable the podcast is for people's health and their sanity mm-hmm. and all that other stuff. But I'm also acutely aware that if this isn't entertaining, no one's going to listen to it. So it could have the secrets to the universe in it, but if it was boring, you might you're not going to make it through it. And so I'm always trying to balance listenability with content so that you get what you need and don't bail on something before the good things get said. And you know, and that just it's just true. Like I I know it sounds crazy, but you could put the secret to life in this podcast and if 45 minutes into it, you're bored, you'll you're just not going to make it. And so you kind of have to yeah. do both. That's all. I just uh, yeah. I mean, you're you're exactly right, and you are entertaining. Oh, um, you God. know, yeah. Like uh, what's his name in his prime? That guy with the dance with the umbrella. Yeah. Yeah. I'll never think of that. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> you're like I'm not even old enough to know who you're talking about. <laughs> the singing in the rain guy. Who am I talking about? Oh God. I don't know. Hold on, Jesus. I'll figure it out. <laughs> Will I figure it, figure it out? I guess if I can remember how to spell sing, I'll be okay. <laughs> Hold on a second. Um, oh, this is going to bother me because as soon as I see Gene Kelly's name, I'm going to know I meant Gene Kelly. Damn it, Gene Kelly. Uh, that's all. I don't Auburn. know why. Did I reach back to the 50s, do you think? I, I, I wasn't born until the early 70s. <laughs> okay, well, and, and, and I will let you know that I did say 
the last two years of the 50s, but I, I didn't, I wasn't old enough to watch. Wasn't it Gene Kelly and Auburn Hepburn? Uh, I have it right here now. Gene Kelly, um, Donald O'Connor, Debbie Reynolds. Oh, Debbie Reynolds. Yeah. I love him. Yeah. So. No, that's, that's too far back for me. You know, your episode could be called Singing in the Rain. Because, yeah, it could be. Because you're a really upbeat person, and this is not an upbeat situation. So no, no, it's not. And yeah. you know, everyone has their, their moments, but, um, what do you do in those moments, Cheryl, when it's too much, what do you do? Um, I'm not really a crier. Um, I have to, if I'm totally want to unplug, I read, um, but, and you know, it depends on what it is. If it, if it's like his seizures and they're and they're you know getting new seizures, um, there's not a lot I can do. So I just like that. Um, um, Lenny Gaston, that's what I'm pretty sure is going to be undiagnosed with as a seizure disorder, and um, it's just learning everything I can about it, but I can't do anything about it. Yeah. Um, so when I'm really down there. It's to seek information and then realize there's nothing I can do about it. Um, and I just have to resolve that within myself I think that's because that's really probably my, um, what bothers me the most is when something presents itself and it's progressing like his seizures are. Um, and there's, there's nothing that can be done. You know, the teacher, the um, doctors are scrambling to, add medications and change dosage times. And um, so that's that's probably my dark place is when I can't control it. Um, I so hate, I just have to resolve that in myself. I hate not being There's, there's nothing else I can do. No, I agree with you. I think it's a smart thing. My mom is sick right now. And mm-hmm. um, it's uh, the worst part of it is not being able to I feel like I want to continually be able to say something that's valuable or do something that's valuable, move it in a good direction. Mm -hmm. Even if the end's not good, I want to keep, Mm -hmm. I want to keep moving in a good direction. Um, And I got a little, for the first couple of weeks she was, that we were aware of it. I had a lot of, I don't know if it was anxiety. I was stressed out. Like I could, Mm -hmm. my, my body was under stress and I could tell. And, um, I said to Kelly one day, I was like, I, I said, this is going to kill me before it kills my mom. So I have yeah. to, like, I have to find a way. And I think that you're right. Like, I mean, people could say like, I exercise or I read or I cry. Like, those are all great things. But in mm-hmm. the, in the end, it's the letting go. And mm-hmm. it's not, it's not giving up. It's, it's not holding yourself responsible for something that you can't be in control of. That, that sound right? No, and that's, that's exactly, that's exactly how it is. And that's where um, my anxiety or my, um, my moments come from is when I can't control it. Um, But then, yeah, you just have to realize that as much as you want to control something, you cannot, there's nothing you can do. And, you know, I can try to say, okay, he was doing this when the seizure happened. And like one of them, we had lost it. We had to put one of his um, dogs down and he had a really bad seizure afterwards. And I'm like, okay, 
So does that equal, you know, huge emotional impact is going to equal a seizure now? I don't know, but I kind of, you know, put that in the back of my thoughts. So I try to control as much as I can, but at the end of the day, there's nothing I can control. I, all I can do is gather data for a seizures. I cannot control them. And that's very, very hard. Yeah. You have to resolve yourself to that factor. It'll eat you, mm-hmm. it'll eat you alive yeah. if you don't. Yeah. Okay. All right, Cheryl, you were terrific. This was amazing. Um, I, thank you. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for having me. Oh, of course. A huge thanks to Cheryl for coming on the show and telling us this story. Absolutely amazing. I also want to thank US Med and remind you to go to usmed.com forward slash juice box or call 888-721-1514 to get your free benefits check. Get your diabetes supplies from US Med. Thanks also to InPen from Medtronic Diabetes. Head over to InPenToday.com to learn more about the InPen and to get started. There are a ton of series inside of the podcast, like the Diabetes Pro Tip series and Defining Diabetes. You can learn more about them at juiceboxpodcast.com or at our Facebook page, Juicebox Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes.